To get rid of those pesky ads, request stories, listen to unlisted and bonus episodes, and to chat with the gang, support us by clicking the description link. To see the evidence photos and follow along with this case, follow our blog link in the description below. I'm like pretty much already clocked out with Ed Gein, obviously, but like I can't just leave people on on that hook you know what i'm saying because i'm known for that like oh what's in you know what's in this room is like the worst than anything else and then i just don't put out the episode <laughs> people are like what the fuck i mean like i did with the ghoul podcast like literally two episodes and then i did that same shit but i just i'm sorry i th this covid thing just happened suddenly like tuesday you don't have to apologize for that tuesday i woke up and it was i felt awful and did i not like and i know i was kind of a baby with this sickness yeah, like i couldn't do anything i mean i probably could but i'm such a baby i don't know but i think i would rather have this than the flu uh, i would agree the flu i had i had it what 2 years ago yeah I had the remember you were like, should I take you to the hospital? <laughs> I had a fever of like 103 yeah. for a couple days. Anyway, I stopped last time. We talked about all the stuff in the home, and then I said that there was there was one room that they found that was boarded off. That was the last to be opened, and what they found in the room was worse than anything found elsewhere in the house. Now, before I get to what was in that room. I actually kind of want to talk about some fake news real quick because there was fake news with the Ed Gein story. Really? When this story came out, the Ed Gein story came out, everyone wanted to get in the news and this became a national sensation. A lady who was sort of local, who kind of knew Ed Gein, but no one in Plainfield really knew who she was came out and gave a full interview saying that she was Ed Gein's fiance. Oh. Yeah. A and a live person. Yes. This lady's name was Adeline Smith, and they actually did have a real date together. From what, and this is not a dead person. Again, Ed Gein gets a date, and I cannot have someone carry a conversation with me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, no more self-loathing. Go on. They had a date from what she said in the in the paper. She said that they actually went to see a movie, It's a Wonderful Life. They met in a drugstore. Mary! Mary! They met in a drugstore. He was buying an ice cream soda. Another reason I love this story, because... He's it's in there. So wholesome. So in the town of Plainfield, like everyone knows I'm Ed Gein. I'm ready for Christmas, honestly. There you Ev go. Everyone knew Ed Gein before this whole thing happened in Plainfield. No one really liked him, but he was that guy that recounted every true crime story. He's like the ones like, oh, did you listen to My Favorite Murder we last night? Stay sexy, don't get killed. Oh, yeah. So he's that guy who would just recall all these lurid details about crimes and stuff to, to anyone no one else gave a shit about true crime this is fucking the 60s the 50s but he would just just barf out all these lurid sensational details about murder and stuff because he read all those magazines anyway he would also do that at the drugstore while buying ice cream sodas like he bought he would take in quarters and just refill ice cream sodas like a kid you know i mean who a grown adult this when he was arrested, you guys understand, he was nearly 50 years old and he's in there buying ice cream sodas. <laughs> so he is the intellectually disabled one, perhaps not. Oh, yeah, I, I would definitely. Millum. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this woman, Adeline Watkins, said that she actually turned down a proposal from Eddie. But she says, quote, Eddie and I discussed books. We never read the same ones, but we like to talk about them anyway. 
Eddie liked books about lions and tigers in Africa and India. Oh, and bears. Oh, my. I, I never read any of those books. Now, obviously, that's not true. All they found in Eggin's house was like lurid true crime books. And so nipple she, belts. So she came out and gave this full interview completely fucking lying. And this is how media is, especially with fake news today. They're just so desperate to get anything. They'll just print whatever, even if it's completely made up. Well, yeah, everyone wants the upper hand on the story. If you can give more details than the next guy, you get more money. Quote, that's right. He proposed to me. Not in so many words, but I knew what he meant. I turned him down, but not because there was anything wrong with him. It was something wrong with me. I guess I was afraid I wouldn't be able to live up to what he expected of me. <laughs> yeah, I just like snotted all <laughs> You do sound much better than you did on Monday, though, I will yeah. say. John said to me the other day, he was like, you definitely like don't even sound like you. I feel like I'm I'm with someone else who's not my wife right now. I was like, oh, are you going to get caught? (laughs) (laughs) And so sexy. (laughs) Oh, my God. She wasn't the first one to claim that she went on dates with Eddie. Now, this was she completely lied. She wasn't the first, but was she the last? She actually recanted her statement. She went back to that newspaper and said, well, it didn't happen like that. And if you read the the article, nothing at all happened. She didn't even know the guy, but she she just got caught up in the sensationalism, seeing her name in the paper, you know? I mean, and they would print it. So she was like, yeah, we went to a movie. Oh, no, I thought that I was thinking of someone else. Like, no, you weren't. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Also, people around the area who barely knew Ed or didn't even know him at all would give these crazy recounting stories about how they survived and almost was slaughtered by the mad butcher Mm. of Plainfield. Quote, my daughter kept hearing rustling noises outside the house at night. One uh, woman says to the newspaper, quote, I thought she was imagining things. Gein knocked on the front door and asked if he could come in, said he might want to build a house and wanted to go take a look at ours, like right after she heard all the rustlings. Nobody else was here, and for some reason, I decided not to let him in. I guess I can thank my lucky stars for that. Mm. Another neighbor was setting the table. She uh, was setting the table in her house, and Ed Gein looked at her and said, quote, you look like my mother. Oh, no. One of and these are this actually made the papers fact. This is fake news. The pinnacle of the fake news. And when it finally ended was an article that came out. The title was, quote, 300 pound man recalls pinch and remark by Gein. It says the following, quote, a 300 pound barber who owns a farm near Slayer Ed Gein's house said that the recluse pinched him on the belly once and said he'd, quote, just be about right for roasting. (laughs) Just right for roasting? That's like me talking to my Thanksgiving turkey. You look just right for roasting. Let me pick you out of the shopping cart. Quote, I didn't think too much of the remark at the time, but I do remember Gein had a peculiar look in his eye when he said it. Isn't that crazy? You just be about right for roasting. I talked about all these, all this stuff in the house, the nipple belts, the the mammary vest, the lampshade lips. And we talked about where they came from. Obviously, the graveyards. He didn't kill all these people. He just dug them up. 
And he would take specific things. Like they asked him, how did you do this? Because he never brought a saw to, he only brought a crowbar. So how would he take the head in certain cases? You, I mean, you just pull it off. He said he would work it back and forth, you know, kind of like you do like a fork or something until it finally snaps off and work it back and forth. And that's how he would get all the body parts off. Oh, Any, I don't, oh, geez. Anyway, going back to the room that's filled with all that macabre, all those macabre items, there was one room that was completely sealed off and they opened it last. In this room, they finally opened this room and what they saw completely shocked them. It was a completely normal room. Oh. Everything was in apple pie order. There was a dresser. Apple the, pie. The order. dresser, they pulled out the dresser. And instead of skulls and nipple belts, it was women's clothing folded to perfection. Now, everything was coated in dust. It was the mother's room. Ed Gein had blocked off that room completely and left everything as if his mother had never died at all. The bed was made to perfection. Everything was extremely organized, just how the whole house was in 1947, it was not the dilapidated mess it is now. So it's crazy to think about the psychology here. When his mother, Augusta Gein, died, he blocks off that room who he thought she was, the, you know, a god. And then he lets the entire house go into complete disarray. So it's like night and day. His whole world is crumbling around him. It's obvious from all that shit and the hoarding situation and dilapidation and everything else. But then they open the their one room that was the mother's room and everything is in perfect order. That is just, it, it just is mind blowing, right? Creepy. Everything that they would pull the dressers out. All the clothes were folded to perfection. There was still that Bible sitting on her nightstand, coated with dust, obviously, but not touched. The whole house was imploding in on itself, but that one room stood the the test of time and was in complete, complete order. Isn't that crazy? When you think about it, I mean, I can, I can see that happening. Like if I was living in my parents' house, I would probably want to leave everything the way that, but you would probably go in and clean from the dust. Yeah. Cause basically it was like sealed. Yeah. I don't know if I could go in there. Like, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I, I would most likely like you would have to, you know, when you have an estate, you would have to like, especially living so far away. Yeah. You, know, you can't just leave it. Yeah. So they found a shrine and it wasn't a shrine that he made, but it was just, it was so like a crypt. creepy. Quote, like Egyptologists breaking into the burial chamber of a pharaoh. Hmm. The men who entered Augusta Gein's living quarters that night were the first humans to set foot inside that sanctum since it had been sealed off many years before by a worshiper who regarded it as the dwelling place of a god. So that should tell you a little bit about the mother. Before we talk about the mother, let's talk about the father. As I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, the the psychologist that talked about the schizophrenia and how much he studied it, he compared this to all of his other cases where a sufferer of schizophrenia, from what he has discovered, has a weak, simple-minded father and a domineering mother. And that is the exact case with Ed Gein. Augusta, his mother, was was completely domineering. She was all-powerful 
And George Gein, the father, was just a worthless drunk. He was a, a nothing. The mother disdained him. Anyway, he may have had a good reason to pity himself like this because at three years old, he was left to be an orphan when his mother, father, and older sister drowned. They left little George there at three years old home to do his errands and watch over the chickens. And they took the buggy to the to market to get provisions. And they drowned when the Mississippi River flooded. Mm. He became an orphan and self-pitied himself ever since. He drifted from occupation to occupation. He became a drunk. No one knows why Augusta, the strong-willed German immigrant who has a large family and was a go-getter, would marry this worthless guy, but she did. I don't know what she saw in him, but they did get married. Maybe he, like, worshipped her. Augusta was devoutly religious, hefty calf muscles built for hard labor. She was German, and wherever she looked, she literally saw the workings of Satan, and she basically moved the family because it hurt. She made all the decisions in the household. George was just some fucking worthless drunk, her husband. She was going to take care of her two boys. And to do that, she had to get them further and further away from Satan's dwellings. So she would move them from one isolated farm to an even more isolated farm until they had absolutely no contact with anyone on the outside. Because everyone on the outside, especially the women out there who wore the, the whore's makeup, they were of Satan's doing. So she wanted to protect her sons from that. She was a domestic tyrant. George, on the other hand, he would make little money. He would spend most of it at the bar. He would come home. He would push Augusta around when he was really drunk. And then she would fall on the floor and pray to her God that he smite the husband down and kill him. Mm. But she would never divorce, ever even think about it, because marriage was a final decision. So she thought everyone else was tainted, fallen creatures. But for divorce, she says it was unthinkable, a fundamental violation of her religious beliefs. If the Lord had meant to burden her with a bestial husband and a life of unrelenting labor, then she would not set herself against his will. Between husband and wife, carnal relations were a loathsome duty to be tolerated only for the sake of procreation. She was revolted by the act of sex. Quote, if God wanted us to enjoy the filthy act, he would have made it pleasurable. Well, maybe she didn't, wasn't getting like what she wanted that way. I guess not. She would say the following, quote, you have it your way, but you make it quick, you hear? And then George would say, I'll have it my way, and I'm going to have it my way. George would slur before prematurely ejaculating his way to sleep. That's what the book says. Wow, that's something special. Henry was born. Henry is Ed's older brother. They were pretty close, but a lot of people think that Ed ended up killing Henry after the father, George Gein, dies of being a drunk and heart-related problems. So there was a, a brush fire, and Ed and Henry were trying to put it out. But when they found Henry's body, which Ed led the uh, police officers right to it, it looked like he you know, burned in the fire. However, his clothes were not burned. He was laying on top of the burnt ashes of the, the brush fire, but he was completely cleaned. So a lot of people, and he had a bash on his head. A lot of people think Ed killed him so he could have his mother all to himself. And that's probably pretty accurate. 
Anyway, Ed was born on August 27th, 1906. His mother wanted a girl, prayed for a girl every night, but Ed came out and, quote, this one would not grow up to be like the rest of them. Men, those lustful, sweating, foul-mouthed creatures who made use of women's bodies in such filthy ways. This one, she promised, would be different. Augusta would see to that. So that was from the Deviant book. So Ed Gein, he did go to a small school, but like I said, Augusta kind of made it where he was just stuck in the house. And once Augusta Gein dies, the mother, that's when things start completely turning around in Ed's head. This was right after he had killed his brother, allegedly. She had had a stroke. This was like an old age kind of stroke, mm-hmm. but she she survived it and Ed was taking care of her. There was one incident, the dog incident, where the mother tells Ed to go and purchase some straw and they were going to do a trade for some other stuff from this local farmer. But Augusta didn't trust Ed to do this on his own and get a good deal out of it. So she went with him. This was after her stroke. This guy's name was, his last name was Smith. He was white trash with a short temper. When they pull up, he is beating a dog, his family dog, mercilessly with a a heavy stick. He beats him until the point of death. And they're screaming at him, Ed and his mother screaming at him. And the thing was just horrible to witness. Anyway, a week later, Augusta has another stroke. And in 1945, she dies of cerebral brain hemorrhaging. After that, he could not take care of himself. Now, he's 45 years old at the time. He, you know, he's still living with his mother. She finally dies. And now he's just completely cannot take care of himself at all. So at first, and this is 1947-ish, the mother has been dead for two years. He tries to be more social and stuff like that. He goes to different bars and that's where you got Mary Hogan. That's where that comes in. Oh, you look like my mother. After this, he starts trying to bring the mother back. This is two years after she dies. All those cadavers and body parts that they found in Ed Gein's home, the main reason he had that stuff was because he was trying to part by part, a la carte or whatever, his mother back together with certain parts. That's why he had all the human noses in one box and the vagina in, in the next box and the face mask and stuff like that. Because he thought by willpower alone, he could actually bring his mother back. He first tried to rebuild her part from part, but then when that didn't work... He would dress up in the skin of the cadaver victims, the mammary vest you saw, the nipple belt he would put around. He would put the vulva over his penis area and he would don a skin mask, which was literally just the skin off of the skull. He would put it over his face, go out into the moonlight. He would wait until the the moon was bright and Full because that's when he thought that the, the spirit realm or whatever it was in his fucked up head at the time would actually work. And he would dance around the mother's grave in a ritualistic fashion, almost like a rain dance, wearing all this like skin leggings and like completely donned in other body parts. I told you the story is fantastic. I mean, it's fantastic. I'm not sure it was the word I would have used. It is something. The skin mask he would put on with the eye holes that were, you know, used to be eyes there. He would take a nylon cord and kind of rope it around. He would put a wig on from the, you know, one of the cadavers. 
and he would try his best to look like his mother. So the people that he was digging up, reading the, like I showed you last time, the actual obituaries, he would wait till someone dies of a car accident or whatever the fuck of old age. And if they kind of looked like his mother or had a part, maybe the calf or I don't know, the butt or something, he would go and dig it up and dig that one part up and try to recreate his mother by putting it on him, donning it all, and then dancing around her grave in the moonlight. Dancing in the moonlight, everybody's feeling running right. It's such a fun and natural sight. It was a, quote, sight that would have supplied any of Eddie's impressionable young neighbors with a lifetime worth of nightmares. Think about it. He is donned in this, and that's where you got Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Where the fuck do you think they came up with that? No one in human existence before this you, you read H.P. Lovecraft and Poe, some of the best horror writers of our time, would never, ever think about ripping someone's face off and then wearing it as a mask. You can only come up with that if someone fucking did it like Ed Gein. You can't come up with that. Like, someone has to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's where you have Texas Chainsaw no Master. No one's that creative <laughs> on their own. You know what I didn't know until recently was that Poe actually was stationed in Charleston with the army. What do you mean you didn't know that Jen, until there's recently? there's a Poe restaurant down here and the library is... Edgar Allan Poe Library. What the fuck? How do you know? I that's... didn't know. <laughs> I just thought... I didn't know that's why it was there. Oh my god! I didn't. I didn't find out until the night where I hurt my ankle when I was on the ghost walk. That is far too recent for how long you have lived here. Yeah, he's got quite the history here. Yeah, gold. The gold bug and the the poem. Um, he wrote a poem about the girl. I don't remember Annabelle that. Lee. Yep, he wrote a poem about Annabelle Lee. About and that was Charleston. An- yep, Annabelle Lee, and they showed us the house that she lived in, and he would like go out into the alley and like. Oh, I didn't know that that was. Here. Yeah, yeah. Annabelle Lee was a real person, and she died. The dad sent her to Edisto huh. to live because they found out he found out that she was seeing this postmaster, which was Edgar Allan Poe. Now, no one knows if he actually ate any of the body parts. He says he didn't, and honestly, I think it's more fucked up that he didn't, that he <laughs> wasn't a cannibal. You know what I'm saying? No, because all right, it, it would kind of give him a reason to do it. Like he is solely. Digging up these bodies to put them on as clothing, not to eat them. And to bring back his mom. Yeah, which is so fucking creepy. Yeah, but it's... I feel like it would be worse for him to dig up the bodies and eat them. Yeah. Yeah. Like we like if you're a cannibal, you you want to have like this is going to say I know this is probably going to come back to bite me in a sound bite like in 30 years in the future when everything is politically incorrect. But it is far worse to like if you're a cannibal, you need to have fresh meat. Like you don't want to have expired product. Like that's just but That's a good point. Like that's a very good point. Like I don't go to the store and buy something that is 3 weeks old. Right. Or even right. like 5 days old. You're going to get sick, ma'am. Yeah. So if you're going to eat something, it has to be fresh. That's why you have Subway. Oh god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it, it it would make it worse if he ate the dead, the predeceased bodies. That's a good point. And when you say predeceased, it does sound like it's already been, like, processed. Mm-hmm. But, like, even so, like, predeceased, like, someone who's already dead, like, has all these chemicals and stuff in them. Like, true. you don't want true, to, true, true. to eat someone who has who's full of embalming fluid. I would say... Great point, Jen. If I am ever going to try human meat, I, I will not 
dig someone, someone up that's yeah already been buried well i'm glad yeah maybe i stopped uh, a grave robber with my psa yep instead they're just gonna go kill somebody <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, and plus, like, that's dead weight. Yeah, it's dead weight. Literally, I know. Literally, <laughs> but like, if you if you're gonna cannibalize someone, you wouldn't you want it like an organic source? Yeah, I would totally eat all those <laughs> vegans from from California or whoever, just grazing on grass. <laughs> Grazing the gas is a gas, baby, can you dig it? I'm just saying, like, you don't want to eat someone who's full of embalming fluid or, like, you don't right. know how they You're died. Right. Full of chemicals. You don't know how they died. They could have... Preferably non-smoker, you know. Like, what if they were a cancer patient and they had chemotherapy, but the chemo didn't work and they have all those chemotherapy chemotherapy chemicals in them. That would not taste good. I know I know that someone's going to be like, you are so insensitive talking about cancer patients. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to cannibalize, number one, don't. I do not condone that. Well, you're right. If if someone's going to be eating a, another human, they're because can, probably not. Can, being popping. a cannibal doesn't necessarily restrict you to someone who is living. You can eat someone who has already passed on and still be considered a cannibal. But wouldn't you rather eat someone who has not already been dead? Okay, I would agree. We're gonna go that route. I don't John, agree. John has now tuned out. Completely. I know. I don't. I don't agree with it. I'm just saying. I just. I. I'm just saying. Like, if you're gonna do it, don't. But if you are, even after I said don't, then like, just so. If you're into psychology, this is the person to study. And I, I can't really explain this, but there is a theory out there that. I mean, why do you think he tried to bring back his mother? Because he missed her. Okay, well, there's... She was so domineering that he didn't know how to function without her. All right, here we go. This is from Dr. Silvano Arietti. He is the leading authority on schizophrenia. Quote, the child who suffers on account of his contacts with the rejecting parent, generally the mother, tries desperately to preserve a good image of the parent. So the mother was not very nice, not not nice to Ed, but locked him up, didn't trust him to do anything himself. He wants to feel that the parent is good. If the parent is punitive and anxiety arousing, which Augusta was, it is not because she is malevolent, but because he, the child, is bad. Mother is right in being harsh and strict with him and showing him how bad he is. The preservation of the good image of the parent is made possible by the removal from consciousness of the most unpleasant traits of the parent. Thus, the child will have two images of the parent. This is Augusta. The good image, you're a god, your room is a shrine, which is conscious, and then the bad image, which is unconscious. So there's a theory out there that consciously he views his mother as, quote, all gratifying, supreme, sublime, and perfect. But at a much deeper level of the mind, he sees her as the exact opposite, a figure of utter evil. Ooh. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it says the grave robbing, he's like split personality type thing. So obviously he was mentally ill. He didn't go to a trial per se. He was tried by a judge. Before the judge even decided what to do with him, he had to get a 30-day medical evaluation. And then pretty much there, they were like, all right, let's just keep him, literally. When he recognizes what he has done, then we can try him if he can kind of understand what his defense is doing and stuff like that. And he did. They actually tried him again. And that was this book right here by the judge, Robert Goldmar. 
This is kind of the uh, second telling of it. Ten years later, when they brought him back to court, but then they quickly figured out this judge said, you know, he's but but they don't know what to do with them because you, you put someone in a psychiatric facility to get them better. And once they're better, you release them. But in Gein's case, can you do that? Because, yeah, he's better, but he can't even function as a human. Right. You know, if he's better, can we release him or not? And we can't release him because he can't function as human. But he can't go to prison because, you know, it's like he doesn't know he's him. he's literally in limbo at this mm. point. Anyway, he dies when he's 70 something. But naturally, yeah, natural causes. When he was in prison, he had no idea that these movies were being made, not in prison, in the mental hospital. Mm -hmm. They don't let him know what's going on. No news reporter could even contact him. So he didn't have any idea that the the biggest movie at the time, Psycho, was about him. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Good night, guys. guys. Good night, guys. Until until next time. Good night, you lovely, lovely people.